0: Do we see you at Groundswell this year, the twenty-sixth and twenty-seventh of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bezos, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Finally, after a year and a half, even more, after the summer of twenty twenty, an update with Benedict Bezos, one of the leading farmers applying regenerative practices at scale in Europe. Farming over 3,000 hectares, of which 2,000 forestry and 1,000 organic grain in a very, very dry area east of Berlin. We talk about what has changed and how the on-farm experimentation, even in the forestry part, has simply exploded. And what were the crucial elements to have this crazy growth? And we talk about where are we in this regenerative evolution and how we really, really don't know anything. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems, while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our membership community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits, and how to become a member, check gumroad.com slash investing egg or find the link below. Thank you. Welcome to another episode today with good, my good friend Benedict Bozo, who's back after the series we did. And we just looked at when we released the last one, which was in the summer of 2020, and so much has changed. So we're checking in with one of the most interesting regenerative farmers or farmers using regenerative practices on a large-scale farm and forestry farm, actually, east of Berlin. And I'm so happy to have you back here and to check in. Uh, it's going to be a full episode. There's a lot to discuss, so let's see if we can uh, squeeze it into an hour or a bit less. And otherwise, we do another one in uh, six months or so, because it seems like the, the speed of change has only picked up. So there's so much to unpack. Welcome, Benedict. Hi, Kuhn. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, good to see you. And. I mean, it's, it's horrible to say, but can you give us a, a brief overview? It's not brief, but like, let's say the summer, if you're thinking back on, on the summer of 2020, we just came out of the first lockdown. We had no idea of COVID, uh, how long that was going to take, et cetera. And now you're feeling now we're talking, let's say the, the middle of winter or the end of winter in 2022. What's the biggest feeling of change? How do you feel most different? I mean, private is, is another story, but definitely around the farm. Yeah, what's your biggest shift or what's your biggest change that you you feel of somebody put you that and said okay you have five words to answer that
1: that's a tough one I mean there, really there is no private life and farm life it's you know it's all just one one big uh, one big thing I guess so I would have to say that the birth of my daughter in May last year definitely had by far the biggest impact.
0: So all the farming changes are disappearing compared to family expansion, which I think most people can uh, can agree on. And, and when you look at the farm or the land or the farming company, what do you see uh, has shifted in that year and a half, which seems so long ago if we think about it?
1: Yeah, it's incredible to think about. I mean, one and a half years is really not that long, but like I can't really think back to it anymore. And I think, what's the biggest shift is that the energy that I was carrying around in, in my heart, in my head (laughs) is now actually starting to become real outside because we've just been able to uh, grow the team so strongly and just have the most incredible people in, uh, with us that, yeah, I just have the biggest respect and love for them and and what they do outside is just incredible. And to see that happen is, yeah, quite touching. To be honest with you, it's still hard work and, and a tough life, but it's uh, it's beautiful to see what can happen if you you know if you just stick with it and take some
0: risks, I guess. And so let's let's unpack that a bit. How were you able to grow the team? Because of course you had a farming team back in the day when we talked, but not so much on the regenerative side. And now there's a full suite. So ha- walk us through. Ha- how many people are are there now? on on the farm when you say grow the team it could also be from one to two and that's that's a huge growth but in this case we talk about a slightly different growth and and how did you were you able to to bring them to the farm and how did you find all these people
1: yeah that's a good question it's always to be kind of difficult to make sense of it looking back most of the time it always makes sense when you look back but in this case uh, things just happen naturally i think like um, i think this is one of the things that i found if you're lucky enough to find what you are supposed to do in life, which I was looking for 15 years of my, of my life doing finance and all the other stuff. And if that is in line with what's needed at that point in your context, and this is for me, agriculture in a very dry environment, then I think there's something like energy of the universe that helps you, right? Like if you do shit, of course, then it's not going to help you hopefully, but if you have a, a good path that makes sense for the context and the environment, then there's some weird form of support serendipity all over the place. Like <laughs> it's just really, I don't know. But um yeah, I mean, back in the day, uh I mean, we still, we already had a few in the in sort of in the, in the regenerative team, I guess, but quite a few of them were just interns. And back in the day we'd had no financial means. We were, extremely struggling with the forest company with the agriculture company we had been in a drought for two or three years in a row like we couldn't do any investments it was we had bad liquidity like it was i mean and it still is just insanely tough in this environment in this region to do agriculture or forestry especially if you want to do it in a let's say healthy way and what made us strong back in the day was that you know i had the people that we were doing an internship and they had no pay they didn't get any food like you know they were just with us because they believed in what we were doing and what we were believing and i guess they trusted me that i can somehow find a way to finally also maybe pay them something right so i think we were just a few a handful at that time that believed that there is something that we should push and keep doing because i mean when we started planting the first trees in agroforestry system when i swap my car against the cows. <laughs> like, you know, I always thought before the money runs out, I'll find people who understand why we do what we do and also understand why it's important to do it. Therefore, will start to support us. And as always in life, things take a bit longer and are a bit more expensive than you expected them.
0: You, you mean that it took a bit longer before the money ran out? Yeah.
1: No, it, the, the money didn't last that long, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, But yeah, so... I guess they were sticking with us or we were all believing in, you know, us making the next step. And luckily, uh, towards, I think the end of 2020. Yeah, of course I met a guy, uh, Julius from a company called follow food, which is like one of the most sustainable uh, food brands in in Germany. And they started as follow fish. So you have basically traceable means of seeing where the food comes from. And we met actually on the day that where we got some more uh, cows, which was very exciting. And, you know, he's just been the most incredible human. Like he still, he, he said, look, this is exactly what we're looking for. You are doing it. You know, we, we want to support you. And they didn't do this because they want an equity stake or they didn't do it because they want to brag about it. Like they just said, look, we want to support stuff that you do. And that's why we support you. And they, he stepped up. If If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here right now. Like I wouldn't be talking to you. And you know this and probably uh, quite a few listeners who are uh, trying to start something know this also, like when you have an idea and you have a a vision and you have some energy to put that to life, you'll meet hundreds of people that tell you how great they think you are and how great it is what you're doing. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. going," But nothing's going to happen, right? Like. They have to pay, sign a paycheck, you know, suddenly it's all not that great anymore. Right. So, and so there I have to say, like, you know, if it wasn't for him in, in that moment, that was a huge step for us because that allowed us to actually continue, start to actually employ some of the interns that had believed to stay with us. And that was sort of the first step. And then shortly thereafter, we actually won a prize with a, a brand called Ecova. They do like sustainable washing soaps and this kind of stuff. And they had been quite successful through Corona and said, okay, we want to give this back to nature-based solutions. And I couldn't sleep at one point and saw the, the advertisement and thought, why not apply? And then I totally forgot about it. I just wrote like something about holistic transformation of a forest because we're here in Eastern Brandenburg have like 74% pine monoculture, which is a ticking time bomb, if you want, Right.
0: So, you think it's forest, like when you hear these numbers of uh, the forest cover in Europe has been growing. Yeah. yeah, there are trees, but if you drive through them and I've been there, it's yeah, it's factory farm trees, or it's, it's like to say, biodiversity and life isn't really active in that place to say the least.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it, it really is a ticking time bomb. Like it's not able to withstand what's coming. I, this is a fact, right? But it's of such a gra- great magnitude that people are not. Like the politicians are not daring to say because we have this. I mean, this is a different discussion, but we have the same problem in agriculture as we have in forestry. Like we have things that we actually do and contribute with regards to climate or or rural development activities, which are not paid for, which of course that money would be used to transform what we have to do in order to, you know, withstand whatever you know, the, you know, the
0: drill. And just out of, in, in terms of context and your farm or the farm you manage and hopefully will pass on to the next generations, is 1,000 uh, hectare organic rain and, and now mixes and, and there are trees coming to that as well, but 2,000 hectares of forest. So the, the forest piece is a, is a big chunk of the farm, let's say. Yeah.
1: yeah, for sure. And potentially, of course, also such a big part of the economic feasibility of an area like this. But for that to happen, you know, you have to invest for a long time and transform the whole setup of the forest.
0: So you decided to write this... For this prize on the forestry part, holistic oh, side, right? mm-hmm. because you were you were still half sleeping, or because you thought let's not write about the farming part, you thought oh, this is a perfect nature-based solutions. What made you write that piece on on, on that and not talk about okay, I would like more animals and and more electric fencing?
1: Well, to be honest with you, because at that point we already kind of knew in in which sort of directions we want to go with with regards to all the on-farm research and development as far as agroforestry and specifically syntropic agroforestry is concerned. We already were planning and and thinking and talking about silvopastoral models. And and so I thought also (laughs) something I learned in school, I always spend time trying to understand the exam and the teacher uh, to know what kind of thing he's going to be asking for And in that sense also. I mean, I think there was five different areas where you could apply for agriculture. or Land use was one, but there was one forest one. And I thought
0: nobody's going to do forest. The, well. <laughs> the competition in the forest
1: is going to be less big, so let's go for forest. That's probably what I went, you know, uh, looking for the shortcut. But um, yeah, and, and at the same time, you know, it is a huge problem for us and something that is just above my head waiting to fall down. So it is something that, that is also... You
0: forgot about it and then you won. So you basically suddenly, out don't know where you got a phone call, you got an email, what happened there with that competition. Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course, or in the show notes description below.
1: Yeah, we uh, suddenly I got this email and like, congratulations, you were in the finalist round of XYZ. And I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't really, really remember because it was like three or two months or whatever ago. And, you know, the application to get into that space was just really, really short. Like I did it in like I don't know, half an hour. And then we were invited to actually do a proper casual statement and a proper description and and then we actually went into the pro like into the the planning progress and then had a presentation in in front of the jury and and all that and and in the end we were one of uh, three projects that were selected out of 760 something i think and um, so that was another huge thing for us uh, which would basically enable us not only to get started on the whole planning and the process of, of of bringing that project to life but of course we as a team knew, okay, you know, it's, it, the story continues at least for a bit. And so that was basically then the next big step for us. And and now we're already in 2021 and uh, there was then pretty much, let's say, the most, the last piece of the puzzle, so to say, to bring us on the stage where we wanted to be because we met people, incredible people again, that basically I was telling my story in, in the sense of, you know, I've done this before and then it took over the farm and I realized technology as we know it now is not the solution. Uh, we have to focus on ecosystem health, soil health. And then I'm looking at different models all over the world and then deciding I want to bring them all to a place where it's just incredibly difficult to do agriculture or forestry in the first place to then test and develop on our fields to gather the data and develop software and technology in order to scale it on a, on, on, on areas where uh, we might add some value through this work. And I said, look, but this is the thing is that like you can't get any grants for this. You, No one understands that innovation, system innovation, ecological innovation is just as important as technological innovation. And then those guys was like, mm, interesting, because these are the kind of projects that we finance that don't get any other money. And I was like, no, really? Okay.
0: But you must have heard that before as well. And, and in this case, they actually followed through like that's uh
1: exactly i mean yeah to be honest with you if you like you ask me what's the most and maybe the most important thing looking back or the most unique experience it's it's just about the people everyone's just chatting and everyone is just it's always about the people like you need to find the right people it doesn't really matter what's the topic it's just the people right and this is for your team this is for your supporters this is for your partners this is you know just have people great people around you. anyway so yeah and that then enabled us to actually found a foundation together with them that now we can actually use to do really the sort of professional scientific monitoring and analysis and, and the data gathering and all all of that which actually then builds on having syntropic agroforestry systems different ones out out on the field because the idea is always to not only gather the data as far as you know how is the process of actually Let's say designing an agroforestry system and what are the investment costs and the harvest costs, so to say, or maintenance costs, but also what are the potential yield estimates, right? So how can I actually find an investable economic model? This is one part of the coin, but the other part of the coin is what does really happen with carbon beneath agroforestry systems? What does really happen with biodiversity? What does really happen with the wind speed, the soil temperature, and all these things that today we just talk about and we know they're relevant but we don't include them in the discussion
0: of systems. We you know they change but we don't know how much which direction do they change Exactly in, as a benefit or not and this is I mean, this is all research and development and I think that's we reached that conclusion at the end of the series as well and I, I invite everybody obviously to listen to it I will put the link in the show notes that we can talk all about transition finance models. But unless the business models of farmers improve, it's all empty talk. And so we really got, and we'll unpack that a bit further in this conversation as well. We need better offtake agreements. We need better contracts. But before we even talk about that, we need to actually have agriculture models that work with limited input, that work in the difficult context, that work in any context. And for any context, in this case, it's Brandenburg. Someone needs to figure out what is the model, what's the recipe. And when you're figuring that out, you need grant capital, unless you have very deep pockets yourself and then you're financing your own grant capital, but you need research and development and you need to be able to, because nobody will teach you how to do these models. Unless you have a very advanced few farmers around you that have been doing this for 30 years, if you're one of the first, you're going to pay the research and development costs and, and A few grand euros and dollars can go a very, very, very long way, but it is grand capital. I mean, it might come back in in some ecosystem services somewhere in the future, but you need to figure out what syntropic agroforestry model works for you. What is the integration of animals in this specific context, et cetera, et cetera. And that people often forget like, oh, let's finance all of it. I mean, this is a podcast talking about investing, but before we can invest, there's a lot of, I mean, if you look at the rocket space, the electric car space, if you look at I mean, the electronic space where we're using to record this, it's all been financed by research and development, partly private, partly public. So let's, let's not step over that fundamental piece of, uh, of grant capital, there or research and development, very patient capital that, that can help enable people like you to find the recipes at work. And then we can talk about scale and financing it and all of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, it's, uh, it, it's so beautiful to see all the attention that agriculture now gets and, and of, of course specifically regenerative agriculture gets. But like, I think we put a lot of pressure on the farmers that are in really different situations to what we believe regenerative agriculture can be as, as a key and solution to everything. And I I truly believe that it of course can be, but we can't forget that most farmers are stuck in a the system. They have been forced or not forced, but they have been <laughs> asked <laughs> to produce as much as they can for the cheapest price. For many, many years. And this system has been supported by billions and billions and billions. And now we turn to the farmers to say, oh, by the way, can you maybe just do a bit more for animal husbandry and why not do a bit more biodiversity? And you're like, sorry, what? And then I was like, okay, well, let's invest in regenerative Well, before we invest in anything, we need proven business models. We need calculation and data that we can actually use to assess if it makes worth it to do X, Y, Z in a regenerative sense. And there's so much work that still needs to be done and, and data still needs to be gathered and also technology and software that needs to be changed. And specifically, we have to look towards politics and companies and, and all of those big decisions that are not down at the farmers level, but, you know, in the European gap and, and so forth. And it's always easy to say, you'll let the farmers do it. No, it doesn't work like that. Like, let's change some of the really big questions that we hardly ever talk about in that sense scientific community education access to land access to finance all these things you of course talk about a lot but
0: i, I don't as much we're a niche in a niche yeah and, I mean, and so well let's unpack a few of those in terms of like the conclusion we reached at that point in terms of offtake agreements how has that changed over the last year and a half has that changed first of all let's ask the question are you still in the still in between brackets in in the organic commodity market is that something you're working on what, what's been there. I mean, are we going to see your face on a package anytime soon of, of flour and milk <laughs> with your grain, like your smiley face with your, your, your hipster face with your hat. What's the progress there? Well, I have to disappoint you with that, but
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, we have been working on that and we have been trying to see what is possible, but it's, you know, the world is not waiting for you, <laughs> for you in, in a sense, right? Like there has to be, you know, you have to have a really good strategy. You have to have a good idea. But I mean, the main product that we're currently producing is grain and flour, for example, is not for most a product that is specifically sexy with regards to, I don't know, an old wine from a certain age that, you know, X, Y, Z, like, of course you can go into that and take it for that quality and tell that story. And you have a special stone mill and you have, you know, the starch breaking down in a different sense, and then it's beautiful and tasty and all that for sure but communicate that on a package where someone takes maybe one or two seconds to look at and they also gonna look at the price like 100%, 100%. so the, you know that it's a tough product it's an incredible product i think it has an insane potential also because it's as a staple it can carry that message so beautifully so it's definitely something i'm still figuring out thinking about talking about and and seeing where we can go with it yeah but it's not something that you just, you know, you just do and then it works. like
0: Create the, a brand. No, no, I, I don't think it will be out now, but we're at some point we'll be interviewing Wild Farmed, which is an interesting wild farming, the two different companies in the UK, working a lot on flour and direct seeding and integration of animals. And they have built that um, connection to the bakeries, et cetera. So there's that pool because without that, yeah, you're going to be just the next package on the shelf and probably very expensive compared to, but actually the right price, but yeah, very expensive sure. compared to the others. And that's just not going to fly. Like you, yeah. that's, and the amount of time it takes to create a brand is, yeah, is, is something that will happen, but maybe not now. So let's talk about on the farm, what has happened. There were some animals on the farm, There were definitely some cows, there were some chickens during the series, I think we recorded. But if you had to give an overview now of the different experiments or what's the, the craziest experiment that's been going on for the last year and a half. If you had to pick one.
1: Well, so, I mean, as far as the team is concerned, you know, we have now grown to a solid team of, uh, well, all together throughout the different companies, we have more than 25 full-time employees and we have an average between five and 15 interns basically. And then on special, let's say, planting occasions. A lot of people,
0: (laughs) which is great because you're quite remote and having energy around you. I think for many farmers is what keeps them going and i know that's the case in your case as well
1: yeah i mean 100 you know i think this is what where i take so much power and energy from is to see like the people that come here and you know they are just they're just incredible people they are gifted they are smart they are hard working you know they have their their heart at the right spot and you know they believe in what we do and they believe that also there is hope you know like I think that is something that is so crucial like what is just so hopeful is that these people that come here you know they could earn three times two times four times what you can pay as a farmer but what they have realized is that agriculture is simply put like the biggest instrument to come overcome some of the biggest problems of our time you know it's not just primary production it's it's health it's climate adaptation of course it's biodiversity it's development of rural areas it's culture it's education it's all of it right and that's what we need to understand globally and it has to start uh, politicians but it goes beyond that of course because if we understand that this is what agriculture is we of course would look at it differently we would see it differently we would finance it differently the scientific community would go into a different direction the focus on machines and technology and software would go into a different direction but it's not yet happening but you know this is really what what has to come across so i mean our team now we have a Two people, Rosie and Renke, that are heading our agroforestry system or our, our, our agroforestry team. YoYo's uh, who's heading the tree nursery. Lawrence who's doing the compost. Bürger is doing the holistic grazing. Max who's in charge of of the whole scientific data gathering with Leah. With I mean, the list just goes on, you know. And and we are yeah uh, just incredibly lucky to have these most um, incredible people that yeah just showed sure up. I'm just really yeah I'm just emotionally touched by being, by being here in the space and having them with us, around us. And also us as a team with people that have been here for many years, from the agriculture, from the forestry or in the office, now starting to grow together so much more and having more time to, to actually speak about that shared vision and that shared idea, yet being so differently.
0: How is that going? That integration of the, the old squad, basically, that has been there for me because you, as a large farming company, also before you started on the whole regenerative journey, obviously you employed a lot of people, I think over 20, and then you come bring this young bunch in because the people you just mentioned are are not over 40, let's say, and they come with all these crazy ideas about integration of trees and animals and and life and mycorrhiza and compost and and et cetera, et cetera. How is that integration or has it happened? Like, how is that symbiotic relationship going? And is that really tough? Because it's, I think, what many people see, I mean... It's nice to come in with new energy, but it can also hit a wall because you might have come in with too much energy and are yeah, trying to disturb systems that have been going the same direction for a long time. Is that a worry? Is that going well? What's your experience there of these two, almost two different worlds?
1: That's a really good question. And it's one that I haven't figured out particularly well for quite a few years, but now really working on it, like this is really my focus now. And And to be honest with you, I think what... What makes us as a group here in, in Marlitz strong is that we are exactly what you described. So diverse. Like we have people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different visions and philosophies. And, and that is really so crucial for the work that we do. Because I mean, what we are essentially focusing on is, is to gather data and information and wanting to find ways that we can then scale regenerative agriculture models and instruments on huge areas, not only on ours, but make that data accessible to other people, right? And and in that process, it's important to, you know, not drift off in your little eco-warrior bubble, but you have to be on the ground. Like you have to understand the worries and the stuff that go through farmers' heads. You have to understand why they might emotionally have a problem with one of the things that you're trying to do. You, you just need to be like there, right? And Having that group that is so diverse and having that tension sometimes and the discussion sometimes about certain things and ways and philosophies is what keeps you being aware and on the ground. And so I think that is really, really making us very strong. And it's also beautiful because if you manage to put that together in a room and if you manage to establish communication lines where they can actually share and kind of also respect themselves or each other good things come from that's how creativity is happening i guess right and for me i think there's many ways to bake a cake but (laughs) uh, for me you know we like on my for me personally you know we were struggling with the companies for a good few years you know and it was not a nice time for me it was really really tough and we started with all let's say you know the first regenerative ideas and things that we did outside and back in the day of course we we didn't have much to show for, right? It it kind of grew and started to grow and then suddenly there's some interns and some people like also there. And then of course, you know, it's difficult and different in the beginning. But um we have of course come quite a far way and now can actually show a lot out out there and and so having gone through all of that and having actually established now Let's say an organization is set up that allows us to look to the future and to actually build on that, which we weren't able to at all in the last four years. Now was the time for me actually to say, okay, now is the time where I bring them together and we focus more on communication and we focus more on, on certain ways that we want to do and be with each other and, and live and, and learn from each other, which before that I just had no time to that. I, you know, it was, it, it's my fault in the end of the day, you know, the, the fish start smelling at the head or I don't know what, how do you say that saying in, in English, but
0: no idea, but it sounds good. <laughs>
1: for sure. Um It's not easy for sure. And it's a process and you know, you're not ever going to make everyone happy at the same time. Like that's not how people are, you know, there there's going to be people who are annoyed and there's going to be things that don't go well. And that's part of life. Like, and, and, you know, we are trying to transform 3000 hectares of agriculture and forestry. Like, Anyone who thinks that that process is beautiful, <laughs> that that it, within that transformation phase, you know, all the communication is going well and everything is going well and everything is always clean. That, no, it's not going to happen. A startup who is in a certain phase is not, not going to have perfect processes also. It's, it's part of what we have to do. This is why it is also hard, right?
0: It's very messy. Yeah. And, and that <laughs> has to fit. That has to fit. And for sure, it doesn't fit for everyone. And that's okay. I mean, there's no no hard feelings there. And so let's talk a bit about what's happening on the ground, in the ground, above the ground. I saw some crazy right. pictures on Instagram of uh, a lot of fallen trees or cut trees. What's been happening there in the forest? Did you get a very specific, yeah, I mean, very concentrated wind blow going around?
1: I have to say I was there yesterday or two days before and I haven't been there for a week or one and a half weeks. And I'm just in awe what they have <laughs> again pulled out of the pocket. Uh, So actually, this is the the forest transformation project that I was referring to earlier from ECOVA, where we basically have identified five different plots of between one and a half and 2.1 hectares each within a very homogeneous pine monoculture forest that we owe. And those five we have then designed in different transformation styles. So one is basically just like the zero plot. So we just put a fence around it, don't do anything just to see what would happen if we don't do anything basically. And then all the other plots are starting from quite easily scalable because it's not very difficult to do. It's quite cheap to do, like the transformation, cutting down some trees. Let's, let's, let's say to become more and more specialized, more and more diversity, more and more labor intensive to then actually end in the last and the most incredible <laughs> transformation uh, plot where we bring in all the knowledge of syntropic agriculture into forest transformation. So, Renke, our head of agroforestry, works very closely with Ernst Götz in this, in this project, for example. And they've been in contact back and forth, like how we should transform it, and what should we do, and which seeds, and which trees, and grass, and this and that. And So, that's really that what those pictures that you saw, where
0: we have like this plot. Yeah, just describe it visually. I'll put um, photos if I can find them on Instagram. But if not, just visually take us on, on how does that most extreme plot look like now? And how would it potentially look like in the future? But make it visual because we are on audio.
1: You're much more gifted in this than I do. But basically, we, if you think of the pine monoculture, right, you just see it's actually kind of beautiful in a weird, disgusting sense. But, you know, you just have flat soil and you have all the trees, which are just like really, really straight. And the canopy at the beginning is uh, at the top is touching each other. So basically it's kind of dark underneath. And so you see down the tree lines for miles, like you can see so far down there, right? Because
0: they're all straight. They're all planted exactly. at the same time. They're all planted in the same rows and there's nothing underneath, obviously growing. Yeah.
1: And and everyone is unique, but they all look the same, if you know what I mean. Anyway, so, so within that monoculture tree structure, we just go in and take out like a square, so to say, or identify a square. And within the centropic transformation of that pine monoculture we take out a third, 100% of the trees. So we take them all down. There's only one birch tree still standing there. And from those trees that have been taken down there, actually around 40% we take out of the forest and will sell. But 60% of the trees that we took down have then been aligned basically in lines left and right of prepared seed beds and the seed beds then have either a very diverse mix of different trees and shrubs and bushes and a few other things uh, planted in there or also of course proper trees or yeah proper trees and, and shrubs which are not only seeds but also actually visible as such and so in that let's say reorganization model we basically then plant through seeds and trees an incredibly diverse mix of, of a forest, and all of that is basically prepared by, yeah, mulching the trees next to those seed beds. So if you stand in there, you just see basically no tree around, and you have these weird lines where you have really big tree chunks lining up left and right, left and right. So it's really incredible because your eye has never seen something like that. So if you stand in there, you're really irritated in a sense. But then if you have Henke. <laughs> telling you exactly what's happening where, you know, your mind is just blown off because there's just so much thought he put in it. And and Ernst, of course, is is from another planet when it comes to designing those kind of ecosystems, right? And then from there, if you turn around 180 degrees, you still have some tree structure, but where we only took out 60% of the trees. So you still have, you know, some trees there and the canopy is still there, but it's much more lighter. And underneath the same thing, you also got... Those rows, which have been prepared with with the yeah with this preparation tool, and then seeded and, and mulched again, left and right. So it's just you know it's it's insane what shot. work went in there. And and the next years are going to be so interesting because we have all of these projects are scientifically monitored and really strongly yeah and analyzed through different sensors, of course, as far as the soil. um the soil is concerned, of course, the biology, the, the, bio, the, soil biology. Um, but even more sort of water relevant topics, the whole biodiversity side of it, the economic analysis of it. So it's, yeah, it's really an outrageous project. And we're just very much looking forward to see it in a few years because of course it will change over time. And there's so much valuable info that we need actually to assess forest transformation techniques and also put a, a price tag to values that forests can take with regards to biodiversity, with regards to cooling effects, with regards of water storage and carbon storage and all these things. You know, today we talk about it a lot, but we we can't really put a price tag on it. So that's part of what we're doing. And then I mean on the agriculture side, we have yeah established a few more systems. Um we have actually started in 2021 with our own sort of syntropic tree nursery where Yo-Yo has basically from scratch built like the most amazing a beautifully shaped uh, tree nursery where we've done roughly, yeah, nearly 2,000 different fruit trees, uh, specifically like apple and pear and um, plum and those trees that we started to develop. In the beginning of last year, we've actually planted in our first key line syntropic agroforestry system towards the end of last year. So we have now a a beautiful key line system that's on roughly 3.5 hectares, We have planted a a large silver pastoral centropic agroforestry systems on six hectares where we only have five meters between row and row. We've done a very interesting centropic seed agroforestry system where we actually, you know, just plant the underlying growth parts of the fruit trees that later we will put together with the fruit variety. So that is very, very interesting with regards to, you know, having a system that is really, really location and climate adapted. Because, you know, it kind of grows here from the very start. That's really interesting. Our whole composting facility is just going wild. Lawrence. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
0: Lawrence. I remember visiting in, was it October? And Lawrence was saying you were doing some trials around seed coating. the, The grain seeds that just went in, the winter grain, if I'm correct, with a compost fermentated compost extract if I'm correct and the effect that you saw like in a couple of weeks I don't know if it, it carried through through the winter was already I mean of course there was to be scientifically backed up but the visual effect in terms of root growth like three weeks after after you coated yeah. the seeds was stunning and like of course we have to see how it harvests how it's etc cetera, etc cetera. but just for the dummy like me seeing that that root growth that that difference in three weeks between the control piece of grain and and the plot that was, or most of the other that was coated with this crazy compost, fermentated compost extract was just stunning to see the potential there. this was just the first year. And I'm imagining the amount of experimentation there is just gonna, gonna go through the roof.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like the whole, I think as far as the compost is concerned, it's so obvious that, you know, with every day and everything you learn or you try or maybe even understand a bit more. You realize that you don't know anything. Like you are just in a universe of knowing nothing, basically, right? And that is really the beauty of it, because like there is just you know we're we're just scraping the surface of what's, what's possible, right? Like um I am hundred percent convinced that we don't need anything as a farmer. We just need to understand much more of the complexity of the ecosystem and the interdependencies of different components in an ecosystem and and all the potential that we can gather through all the old knowledge that we already had i mean it was all there and if i think if we come back to that uh, you know i think that's really one of the biggest yeah steps for us to become independent farmers again and you know everything today out there makes us dependent and like that's the worst that can happen like it's really the worst that can happen. It's more dependent farmers, and also to see Lawrence, who started as an intern. You know, he is auto detect an auto detective compost expert now. I don't think there's many that he's like a sponge. You know, like <laughs> sponge for microbes and fungi.
0: I would argue there are not many at that level in Europe. Of course, I'm going to get emails about this.
1: I mean, I I don't know anything, so I can easily say that, right?
0: I don't know anything either, but it seems like, I mean, there are not many that are able to absorb and play between brackets, but play in the best sense of word at this scale. And that combination, plus, of course, the rest of the team makes a very powerful combination. Like this is not, I'm doing a few plots here and that's it. Now I'm actually able to, in all of these, to take it to a scale that hardly anybody in Europe can, simply because of the context. And in this case, you can, you will, and you have to as well. And so it's a very... and. To finalise, are you organising? I mean, I would say to people, go and visit farms. Are there tours coming up this year? Can people go and come and experience in a structured way? Don't also just show up at Benedict's. he's very very busy. But are there going to be structured ways of people to for people to experience these the composting, the animals, the centropic fields, the crazy forest experiments, etc.?
1: Well, I mean, let's say we're working on it. I mean, we of course we do have like farm tours and. And people that come and and come and visit, which hasn't always been easy through through Corona and so forth. And this is something definitely that we want to do more because it's just also really beautiful to see people react to this kind of stuff. Because, you know, you hear so much shit out there and everything's going bad and like climate change. And, you know, there's just not many good news out there. But so I think people are really longing for some hope and they're longing for us to see some I don't know a place where there's just people who are really happy and most of the time, I guess, but who are just doing something because they really love it and they do it because it has an insane potential and and that's the spirit I think that you can also experience here. So I love doing it, you know. I if I have people coming around, then sometimes on the weekend, oh, okay, let's go and um, we jump on the mule and and <laughs> drive around. So you know, it's with all the shit that you also have doing it. This is some of the upside that you have that people are just really happy to see it. And that's some form of payback. But yet, of course, it gets more and more and then it becomes more difficult to to manage that. So actually, we are in the process of thinking, how can we find a certain, as you said, like structured way of doing it? But we're definitely working on it.
0: And the last question, on, I would say last question and it never is, on the scientific side, like the data collection how has that changed? I mean, it changed dramatically. You mentioned it a few times, but just for people to to understand that this is a a giant experiment or many experiments, but actually being followed quite closely by many people, and over the next years even more. What, what's been happening on the data collection side with all these experiments you're running, basically on the farm?
1: I think what's really incredible also to see is like the interest in in the scientific community. You know, when when I started, really like I don't know, 2018, 2019. I asked around of course, and I wrote like grant proposals and stuff like that. And no one ever was interested. Like they were just like, no, okay, well, yeah, you can pay for it. Not really. And now the same kind of institutes and organizations and universities are like, oh, wow, you're doing that. Oh, great. Hey, can we, uh, like, we'd love to, you know, monitor and gather the data and stuff. So you can really see how it has just picked up. It'd be like something that used to, you know, just be looked at as, I don't know, something eco, whatever. Now they're like, ah, yeah, it really makes sense. Like there, there's also, there's an economic rationale behind trying to understand complex ecosystems. So well, yeah, perfect. Let's go. So that's really beautiful. And I'm, I'm actually really, really grateful and happy for the partners that we have, the KTBL, the Juskun Institute and Leibniz Institutes. There's really, you know, just, just great partners that help us gather some of the information and the data. And to be honest with you, even more so, like, We have so many initiatives now in Germany who do very similar things that we do, and they also gather the data. So I think that's really great because it's not just us. It's like a lot of different cool and progressive initiatives in Germany that are looking in the same kind of philosophies and bringing different universities and different institutes into it also. So I think there's a huge momentum also in the gathering of data. And then, of course, which is like for us, like a really strong focus is the question of what do we do with the data? Like we need the data, of course, but then, you know, we still live in the 21st century. So where we really bring it together is when we now use that to actually develop software, to actually develop machines, to actually develop all of the things that we need in order to do scalable agriculture. I strongly believe that In the future there will not be less people on the ground there will be more people on the ground just because of us realizing what agriculture actually is but we still need to find ways that makes it economically feasible we still need to find ways to have that being a work that is good for your health and not that you have a bad back after 20 years and so the machines and the technology is is a potential to of course help us immensely but It's not to keep perversing on an exploitative ecosystem, only thinking blindly about yields. Um, It's about understanding the complex ecosystems and what we need in a specific area, in a specific context, to produce food that is not only good for the people and the people that work producing it, but also kind with the animals and good for the ecosystem, and thereby actually increasing the soil and, and growing biodiversity and And just being beautiful and... (laughs) And tastes good. (laughs) And tastes good, yeah. And I think that's really also the the next big step, people stepping in that are gifted in different areas and saying, okay, well, okay, I see a a complex syntropic agroforestry system where we also do grain uh, between the tree rows and then the cows come in and then the chickens come in and then we harvest berries from the systems. Okay, that's the system I need to develop a technology for, a software for. Okay, perfect. Do you have some data? Yes, All right, let's go. I think, you know, that's, it's going to be beautiful.
0: I think that's a perfect place to end, Benedict. I want to thank you so much for your energy and all the work you bring to the space and also for taking an hour this morning to, uh, in your very, very busy day, you have to go to a TV shoot after this to talk to us and update a bit on uh, what has been happening. So thank you so much. And we'll be checking in hopefully soon again
1: yeah thank you so much also for your very kind words, which um, are really not <laughs> you know I'm just the clown that talks about it, but it's really the people out there and many others that should get the praise, but likewise, I want to thank you for all the work that you've done in the space and the amazing people that you bring together. I think they' you know that energy is gonna get us quite far, so thank you very much
0: I hope so. You can find all the details on gumroad.com slash or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.